Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe. We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great conversations over the years about so many great movies. And some stinkers. Well, true. But you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. In season three, we covered even more great adaptations like The Night of the Hunter and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series. We talked about No Country for Old Men. The Coen brothers so rarely adapt someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com adaptations like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book. In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again, ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know, maybe? We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There. Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself. The <laughs> one where we had him sit on the floor? Because this chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump, adapted from Winston Groom's novel, plus Apollo 13, based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell. And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief, all based on books. Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game. Video game. <laughs> you bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source. Just follow the link. Every purchase supports the podcast. Check out the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. You never responded to my trailer uh, email I sent you. Which one? Uh, the one with the two trailers. Watch this one and then this one. Oh, no. I watched the first one about a, about a dork, and I thought Andy's punking me. And I'm not going to watch the second one right now because I was mostly I was sitting on the side of the road in my car. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is not going to be any effective. The the Baba Duke. <laughs> Baba Dork. Ba- <laughs> That's what I thought it was. Now, where did you find this? Is that is that a real thing? It's a trailer. Yes, it's a real. <sighs> like, what is the thing? You made me. You said go in your bathroom and say Mary Tyler Moore three times, <laughs> and you'll see Shake Guevara. <laughs> it wasn't Che Guevara who appeared for me. It was Fidel Castro. <laughs> it was <All> Castro. Right. <laughs> Maybe it was the accent. The next reel is a podcast about movies. That there's Andy Nelson. I'm Pete Wright. And uh, uh, welcome to the show. You can find us at thenextreel.com, uh, where you can read the blog stylings of Steve Sarmento. You can catch up with the film board monthly uh, current release special episodes. You can catch up with Andy's and my uh, uh, weekly uh, show here on the classics. You can also, you should also make sure you join us on all of the finer social platforms for the conversation. And you should check out Letterboxd for our 2014 watch list. And I think that's it. I think those are the big ones. And so the big thing that I'm interested in is the fantastic update, the weekly update on Andy versus the people. (laughs) The Instagram pony prize. Guess the movie challenge. It It was a pretty good week. Not too bad. Three guesses it took. Or three images for uh, for Robot Gremlin to get it, and uh, it was uh, the classic, the Invisible Man, and uh, three not images, the, and, not the Chevy Chase version, not not memoirs of no, this was just <laughs> the Invisible Man. <laughs> yeah, so so congratulations go out to Robot Gremlin who's entered into our Pony Prize, Excellent. which one of these days we will actually draw a name from a great big hat. And somebody's going to win it. That's right. That's right. Do we have any other uh, news and updates for the people? You know, just one quick thing. Uh, we did have a new uh, comment over on iTunes from uh, Nicholas Orchulo, who says, A great podcast. You will love it. Short and sweet. Right that. to the point. I love it. I love it that it's prescriptive, too. You will love it. Yeah. It, yeah love I it. think I, I, it's not on here, but I do believe that it is Dr. Yes, yeah, I think he is. I, I, I'm sure he's a doctor <laughs> or something. So it is a prescription. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Get I your know. daily dose. Uh, let's talk about trailers. Trailers. <laughs> 
my trailer this week. Uh, you know, we were uh, we were fans of um, About a Boy. Absolutely, fans that? of About we were, a Boy. We were oh, big fans. Of, yes. Do you remember that movie? I definitely do. Uh, we were big fans of that movie. That was a Nick Hornby movie. Or uh, based on the Nick Hornby story. And there he's got a new one, A Long Way Down, which um, is, I'm telling you, looks pretty darn spanky. It does. Uh, it is, It it's, uh, first of all, it's it stars uh, Pierce Brosnan. So, come on, right? So you got James Bond in there. You got James Bond in there. So it's already, it's already a win, even though it wasn't the best era. Uh, of, of James Bond. But we also have uh, Aaron Paul, Rosamund Pike, Imogen Poots, Tony Collette, and uh, Sam Neill, mm-hmm. along with Tuppence Middleton. How do you go wrong with someone named Tuppence? I don't know. I'd never actually heard of of uh, Tuppence uh, Middleton. I knew, you but could, she's... I knew you could give the old lady at the stairs Tuppence, tuppence. to get a bag to feed the birds. Right. Right, but I didn't know it was a name. Yes, Tuppence a bag. Is that I like that was her name? Someone over here, uh, a quarter. Yes, quarter or just <laughs> yes. Isn't that what a Fitty, tuppence is? Fifty cent. Fifty like, cent. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> yes, we oh. have that. See, we have that too. She's the British. She's the cent. British fifty cent tuppence. Yeah. She's a little less though. She's, she's been... not quite fifty. She's, <laughs> she's not she's quite just... fifty cents. <laughs> Uh, we do love you, Tuppence. She's she's <laughs> she's quite. Uh, she's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, she's you know she was born in Bristol, England. She's British. She was uh, just she's in Danny in... Boyle's last movie, a... uh, Trance. Yes. Did you? What did you think of that? Did you like it? I liked the trailer. I never saw. You the never movie. saw the movie. All right. Well, let's put that on. It's on list. my list. Yeah. On my list. Uh, so anyway, a long way down. So this is the movie about uh, four people who just by coincidence end up on the same roof of the same skyscraper to throw themselves off uh, in in suicide. And it's just a random thing, apparently, judging by the trailer. And they all end up there, and it's their story about their, this sort of uh, reversed suicide pack, pact uh, that they all agree not to kill themselves until sometime in the future if, you know... If we're not married by 20, you know, 2020, <laughs> then will you marry me? It's that kind of a thing. Right. So, uh, but it looks uh, it looks absolutely charming, and I love the idea of having all these people that have they come from very different backgrounds. You know, you have the business person, you have the young person, you have the pizza delivery guy, uh, and uh, it looks like a just another sort of charming uh, Nick Hornby uh, story. It was uh, written that the adaptation was done by Jack Thorne. Do you know of this Jack Thorne, Andrew? I, you know, I was looking at him, and he doesn't look like, I mean, he looks like he's just a a writer, producer. He's done stuff that I haven't heard of, but... A lot of, yeah, a lot of TV, a lot yeah. of TV and a lot of stuff that I have, uh, I've also not heard of, but th- this one looks like his uh, foray into uh, feature films, directed by Pascal... Chomel, Chomiel, Chomiel. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, he comes from the group of the Luc Besson, kind of that French team that, yeah. I don't know, Luc Besson is kind of like a Hans Zimmer of, of filmmakers. Like he seems to, seems to have like this little group that kind of keeps expanding and making their own projects because right. Pascal was his first assistant director on uh, several of his films, like Leon the Professional, mm-hmm. and Second uh, Unit on Fifth Element, 
Yes, and, and he, I believe, also worked on uh, The Messenger as second right. unit director. So, yeah, it's interesting that uh, he's kind of broken out and is directing some of his own stuff. I didn't look at the credits for this, but is is Luke actually on board, like, as a producer or anything? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I don't I don't know the answer to that. Um I'm gonna have to look while you chat. So a long way down, it's gonna be it's gonna hit the UK theaters March twenty first, twenty fourteen. So it's coming up. Yeah. Uh I don't see a release date for the US. Uh so US listeners will all just have to wait. Yeah, hopefully it'll be uh summerish, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But I'm looking forward to it. I like sometimes I like feeling good about these things, you know, these these little suicide movies. It's a feel good suicide movie. Well, and I I love Nick Hornby's stuff, so I am quite excited uh, for this one. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Did you, did you find out if Luke is involved? He, in I he I don't see him credited, so maybe he's uncredited, but yeah. I don't see him anywhere. All right. I don't see him. Let's uh, let's talk about your trailer. Yes, I'm pretty excited about this one. This uh, is Terry Gilliam's new film, The Zero Theorem, which looks like it's definitely going back to the Brazil and 12 Monkeys looks uh, look of his films. It's got this very kind of wacky future neon pastel sort of world with uh, Christoph Waltz playing, I don't even know how you say his name, Cohen Leth. Um, the trailer keeps saying we. I don't know if he goes by we, but it looks like this really interesting story about this guy who's basically a uh, a hacker and he's trying to discover why we're here. And much like you know Brazil, there's this kind of corporate culture in this world that kind of is stopping him from doing it and interrupting him. And he's you know it, I don't know. It just looks very. Uh, very trippy, and then of course the, this this corporate group send in this uh, little teenage girl to kind of distract him and everything, and she's wearing this bright fluorescent pink wig, and I I don't know I don't even know what to make of it. It's just it looks so Gilliam esque that I am very excited about it. Oh man, I was giddy when I saw this trailer. Yeah, this it's like this. It is Brazil too. It it has both the feel of Brazil and also some of that funky future world of Twelve Monkeys, where you've got kind of there's I don't know just something about the cords dragging behind people and yeah. there's kind of some of that weirdness that was going on in that film. So it looks like a really fascinating, fantastical sci-fi film that also looks to have some kind of heady theoretical look at you know the meaning of life. Yeah, so I, yeah. I'm I'm interested to see what comes of it. Um, the guy who wrote this is Pat Russian, who uh, is a creative writing teacher at uh, the University of Central Florida, and I he I think he's written short books and stuff. And so I don't know if this was birthed from one of his short stories or what. But it's uh, it's interesting. This is actually his only screenplay credit. So. Oh, I am man. quite curious to hear kind of the story behind this one. Wow. Me yeah. too. I can't wait uh, for this film. I love yeah. it. I love me some Gilliam. And, you I know, love any, some Gilliam. anyone who has looked at our, uh, our list knows that uh, we are going to be talking some Gilliam later in the year. I'm a, wait, did you say when this Watch is coming list. out? When is this hitting? 
I, I'm looking right now. I don't see any uh, U.S. release dates. It's been running the festival circuit through the end of the year. And right now it has a U.K. release date of March 14th, but I don't see any U.S. release, release date yet. Okay. I guess at this point we'll just say coming soon. Coming soon. I, I'm hopeful that we can uh, roll this into a film board. I would love to do a film board on this. Yes, that would be great. Yeah. That would be wonderful. All right. Uh, so tell the story a little bit about uh, this week's movie, will you? You know, this this week's movie came from our first of our listeners' choice uh, selections. We did a drawing. We put everyone's name in the in the hat who had submitted comments and uh, and uh, you know liked us and all that sort of stuff. And we ended up drawing our wonderful uh, listener Stephen Smart, who picked for us tonight's film, Wong Kar Wai's. Uh, luscious film in the mood for love. Uh, we had a chance to talk to Stephen from the um, uh, from the UK uh, uh, last. Well, it was just a couple of days ago. It was last week, and uh, we got to get some thoughts from Stephen on why he thought that this was an important movie uh, that we should talk about. Now he had written us uh, a couple of months ago and said that we we definitely this was during our our uh, foreign film series, our last foreign film series and he said uh, you got to you got to take a look at these one car Y films and uh, because I just I they're great and I they've surprised me. And so I know that you and I had both added them to our lists uh, but we mm -hmm. hadn't watched them yet. So when he uh, when we drew his name it was it was not a surprise that uh, that he would pick this film uh, right away, uh, and so we got some had a chance to talk to Stephen from the UK, and uh, here are his thoughts uh, on why we why he thought we should talk about in the mood for love. We are so excited to uh, welcome our very first. I can't believe it's our first time we've done this, Andy. You you should I carry know. you should carry a lot of shame as I do for this. Our very first listeners' choice. Uh, where we have asked uh, from the good people who listen to to recommend films that you think are important that we uh, we haven't talked about yet, and and it was many moons ago that uh, we were recommended this series of films uh, by the good and kind uh, Stephen Smart. Stephen, welcome to the, the next reel. Thank you very much. We're so glad to to have you here. Can you? First of all, before we talk specifically about the films, tell us a little bit about the kinds of movies that uh, that you like and inspire you. Why do you uh, what do you look for when you when you when you catalog kind of your your favorite films? When when I was younger, I used to watch a lot of the kind of older older movies. When when I was a kid, we had three television channels: BBC One, BBC Two, and STV which was Scottish television. And BBC Two used to always kind of show old kind of black and white movies or older movies, kind of stuff from the 40s and uh, early 50s. So I kind of grew up watching Cary Grant, James Stewart, uh, Humphrey Bogart, uh, Danny Kaye. Yeah, so I, I used to kind of watch a lot of those films, the old Basil Rathbone kind of uh, Sherlock Holmes movies. I used to love those kind of films, those kind of dark, atmospheric kind of thrillers. And that, that was the kind of movies I used to watch when I was a kid. I, I never really got to go to the cinema too much when I was a kid. I mean, we, we got taken to see Superman the movie and, you know, the kind of big blockbusters that were out at the time. But we never really went, you know, very often. So most of, most of my kind of growing up watching movies was the kind of the older the older kind of stuff, the kind of Hitchcock and... You know, I, I loved the Cary Grant kind of 
kind of screwball comedies and and things like that. You know, his girl Friday and bringing up baby and all all that kind of stuff. Sounds like yeah. a great uh, a childhood education in cinema. Um, yeah, B- I mean BBC Two used to be really good for that. They don't. I mean, I don't think TV channels show those kind of things anymore. Maybe because they're they're not widescreen or because they're black and white or I, I don't know. But you just don't seem to see them anymore. But there's always you know the way to see movies nowadays with streaming and and all that. It's kind of it's easier to kind of get a hold of the, those older films. For some reason, I had a kind of fascination when I was a kid with the kind of Far East and like uh, one of my favorite films was Shanghai Express with Melina oh, Dietrich. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just loved that kind of other world worldliness to it and kind of mystery. That gets us to your choice. Now, you had written to us on, on Facebook and, and recommended that we check out these three films from Wong Kar Wai. And you, the film that you recommended is... In the Mood for Love. This is from uh, two, the year 2000. Now, I, my question for you, you had, you had just watched, I, I think you had watched all three of these in this sort of unofficial uh, trilogy, right? The first one was uh, Days of Being Wild uh, from 1991, then comes In the Mood for Love, and then the, the last part from 2004, 2046. Um, why did you pick uh, In the Mood for Love? Well, In the Mood for Love was the first one that I saw. And at that time, I didn't know about the other films I, I, I hadn't seen any other Wong Kar Wai film um, movies so I hadn't heard of them so I completely missed all of that in 2000 and it was really just last year that I, I, I came across it it was it was in a, a book a thousand and one movies to see before you die I, I came across that when I was just dipping in into that book um, and it, it just happened to be streaming on we have a service here called love film which is, I guess, sure, it's kind of similar sure. to, to your Netflix. Right. Um, so it was streaming on there, so I, I, I watched it and just uh, was bowled over. Um, and then obviously I, I found out about the the other films. I watched 2046 and then uh, Days of Being Wild. But I, I think for me, and one of the reasons I picked In the Mood for Love is I think it's probably his most accessible uh, out of those three those three films. It is unofficial, though, right? There is no, there, there's no, is there a, a direct tie-in between the three? I, and, you know, should, should we be watching all three in order to talk effectively about the second one? No, I mean, what, what, what it is is that some of the characters kind of drift in and out of the stories mm. in the other films. Um, and there, there's, a, there's, there's a bit of a theme in 2046 to do with uh, whispering into a kind of, into a tree like there's a there's like a hole or something a knot in a tree where you whisper a secret into the tree and then you cover it up now that, that's kind of in in the mood for love that comes up and it is also referenced a couple of times in 2046 but i think days of being wild you can you don't have to see that i think if you see in the mood for love i i, I think i would find it hard to watch 2046 not having seen in the mood, so yeah, I think I made that mistake. <laughs> I went and saw 2046 without realizing that it was uh, anything part of these films that he had been putting together, and I walked out of it thinking it was a really amazing film, but not really understanding what it was that I had just seen. So I'm curious to watch In the Mood for Love and then kind of go back and see 2046 again, so that I can see how all those puzzle pieces fit together. I, th- I think yeah, and I think it it kind of helps explain. Uh, Tony Long's character, uh, Mr. Chow, a bit 
bit more. I think in, in 2046, he's quite a different person. Mm-hmm. And I think when you watch In the Mood for Love, you'll kind of see why he's, he's the way he is in 2046. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of people say they wish they hadn't seen 2046, that they wish they had just stopped at the end of In the Mood. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, it is a trippy film. It was, it was pretty, it definitely seemed a little out there comparatively. I mean, you know, kind of this, the futuristic trains driving around and everything. I think, yeah, in, in watching some of the other Wong Kar Wai films, his, the style was so all over the place and wild and frenetic, whereas In the Mood is a much kind of quieter kind of film and the camera kind of stays still more. And uh, I think it's just kind of easier to I think that's why I think it's more accessible I think yeah uh, it, any particular performances uh, you, you've already mentioned Tony Lung uh, any other uh, performances that you find are, are worthy of note in your opinion well I mean really for me is the two central characters is Tony Lung's Mr. Chow and Maggie Chung as uh, Mrs. Chan mm-hmm. and really the film is really about is revolves around them and and they're they're just surrounded by all these other kind of crazy kind of their mahjong loving kind of neighbors and everything's on top of them and uh, but it's all just about those two those two people kind of trapped in this kind of crowded kind of apartment and uh and city i guess and I, I just love the kind of um, you just kind of the scenes of them moving through corridors and moving through rooms and kind of just glancing at each other. Meanwhile, kind of surrounded by all of this kind of chaos. And but it's really the those two kind of hold it hold it together. And it's very kind of understated their their performances. So. Well, it it is a great recommendation, and I know it, you know this has been uh, on our lists uh, collectively since you first mentioned it, um, and uh, so I'm I'm thrilled that you came back around and recommended it again. Give us an official excuse to to uh, dig into these films, uh, and uh, thank you deeply. Thank you so for uh, for listening and participating. We, uh, we we love it every time we see Steam Robot. Uh, uh, in the forum. So uh, thanks so much for joining us, Steve. No, yeah, thank you. Uh, Andy, uh, I think we need to go uh, watch this movie. What do you say? I say, well, let's do it. Let's do it. Here it is In the Mood for Love, Wong Kar Wai. Now, we had not seen the movie when we talked to Stephen, and now I assume that we both have watched it. <laughs> Here's open. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this uh, this was the second in what I'm you know I've sort of been calling a spiritual trilogy. I mean it was a real it, it was a, a trilogy. He calls it I, I guess they people in the know call it an informal trilogy. The first part being Days of Being Wild, released in 1991. Uh, this uh, the second is In the Mood for Love uh, from 2000, and the third 2046 released in 2004. Um, I, I know you've seen one of the other ones. I have only seen this one at this point. Directed I did, by, yeah, I did also see twenty forty six. Okay, uh, directed, produced, and written by Wong Kar Wai, uh, starring Tony Leung, Maggie Chung, uh, and uh, cinematography by Christopher Doyle and Mark Lee Pin Lee Ping Bin. I want to make sure we talk about that. Absolutely. Holy smokes! What did you think of this movie? 
I this was a very easy movie for me to fall in love with. There was something about just the uh, the sumptuousness of just everything. I mean, it was like dripping with just beauty from every shot. And, you know, I, I think that I had always held off on this film because I have heard people talking about how it's a film where nothing happens. It's this glacial story of two people who... The story is the this man and woman who are renting rooms in apartments next to each other um, whose spouses are they find out that their spouses are actually having an affair they start up their own friendship that doesn't ever quite develop into an adulterous relationship they just kind of you know have this play acting sort of thing that kind of ties into what they think their spouses are doing and it there isn't a whole lot that happens in the film but uh, I think because I had heard that, I always thought it was going to be uh, just a really boring film. Did you think it was going to be another Yee Yee? <laughs> well, I love Yee Yee, so I... Oh, right. That was me. <laughs> you probably were hoping it wasn't going to be another Yee Yee. I, I just, I wasn't, I, I really didn't know what to expect. I thought it would be a lot of kind of stillness, I think, is what I was expecting. And while there are still moments between the characters, the movie I felt just breezed by. I mean, it's not that long and it really just moves fast. And the camera work in the film is, um, it's almost like a dance is how I felt about the camera work. And I don't know. It just, everything grabbed me. I, even if there was a slow moment, there was always something that, that I could latch onto. And, uh, whether it was the looks on their faces, the smoke drifting in the air, the way the raindrops were falling, the um, the way that the camera was moving from room to room, just anything. I always had something to latch on to. So uh, this was a film that I kind of was transfixed by, and I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, uh, I absolutely agree with you. I The, the movie is... Um, I, I I would say rather than still, I, I find it elemental uh, that w- what we see here uh, that these these two people are dealing with is is uh, and and what I I love so much about it as they're dealing with it they're practicing going through the emotions that they are dealing with uh, as they as they adjust to this realization that their spouses are are uh, are, are not uh, are. are the, the the infidelity of their spouses right uh but it, it is it, it feels so much you know like that same sort of lizard brain kind of purity that we got when you know when we talked about prisoners right not not the violent part but just the part that we're tapping into the rawness of the emotion when we are confronted with an extremely complex and hurtful situation and I feel like these two actors, uh, Tony Long and Maggie Chung, who are exceptional in this film, um, find a way through these simple nods and looks on their faces and um, uh, these just very gentle uh, movements on camera to, to demonstrate for us um, a, what is ultimately a very hurtful story. And yet, uh, by the time it ends, I feel completely refreshed and rewarded that um you know that in many ways they did not 
uh, succumb to their baser instincts. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, I think that is fair. I think there is something very interesting about the way that they play that relationship. And it's almost, it's, it's, it's never really spelled out, this game that they're playing. Is it that they just kind of want to be uh, mutual friends, sympathizing with each other? Um, is it, you know, kind of a form of therapy to get through the pain of, of dealing with their spouses in their relationship? Do they avoid having a, a physical affair because they um, are trying to not go to that place where their spouses went to and they're trying to be better than that? Or is it that they're afraid to take that step because they know how hurt they are, but they each want to kind of take that step and create their own relationship, but they're afraid that the other person doesn't. And so they kind of keep themselves from doing that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very, I mean, it's obvious that, they have developed feelings for one another, right? Yeah. But what I walk away with is this, and, and I had this very interesting conversation with my daughter, right? She's 11 years old. And uh, she sat down sort of over my shoulder and watched the last 30 minutes of the film with me. And so we were just sort of talking through it. And, um, you, you know, by the end, she's like, why, what, you know, they didn't end up together, but they didn't have, you know, why talk about the dynamics of that relationship. And I, and I said, you know, my, the feeling that I got was, wow, uh, were they at some level aware, or is this what Wong Kar Wai is trying to sort of demonstrate to me that these people, in spite of their feelings, were somehow at some level aware that their love for one another may have been, um, you know, a Hollywood backlot, that it may have been a facade uh, that was uh, based on a foundation of vengeance, right? Uh, yeah, You know, right. this foundation of infidelity. So in spite of the fact that they think they really are, are falling for one another, is that, you know, are they falling for one another at the expense of, of a more pure, uh, pure relationship? Uh, and I thought that was a very powerful message for me. It just rang right home. Um, to me, yeah, and and I think that speaks to uh, also to the fact that they they don't want to stoop to that level, yeah. you know, that same level where their their spouses went to, and yeah, I, I mean, I think that's it. Is there is some subconscious feeling of that, but I do think there is some sense of of longing that uh, they're also afraid to acknowledge. With each other, and, and so I think at one point it's it's them trying to say I'm not going to go there, but the other side the other side is I think they're saying I want to go there, but I don't know if you do, and I maybe respect you too much to try because I don't want to hurt you or I don't want to make it hurt even more. Right, I you know I agree with that, and and you can see them push that, uh, you know, to. I think what's really elegant about the way the story comes together is they make these two people who are dealing with such pain essentially romantic heroes for me. You know, I, yeah. I mean, by the end of the film, I feel like they are they they fulfill a heroic role. Um, but you can see them pushing those boundaries, and and I think this is you know these are elements that I that make 
that add to the drama in a very active way, not a passive way that that you may kind of think from a movie that otherwise is is very sort of still moving. Uh, when uh, you know when he leaves Hong Kong to to go to Singapore and and they have the the missed uh, connection at the hotel where he he says you know come with me and. He waits, but she and then leaves. He gives up. He leaves, and then she's she's running to the apartment, uh, only to to you know get there, and he's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, you see that there is this there's this like if only for a second. It's like a, it's a little bit like that sliding doors effect, right? It's just if only for just a second. Yeah, uh, they may have been pushed to a place where you know timing would have been uh, on their side to to actually have a. A, a you know more powerful relationship yeah but but they didn't and and as a result they were you know they were they were free to kind of experience the the you know longing even more and i i found myself just right, man right with it there's uh well and i think i i have something i want to uh, bring up with that but i think the thing that also really set me up for that was the right at the start of the film they have you know the text that comes up on the screen says it is a restless moment she has kept her head lowered to give him a chance to come closer but he could not for lack of courage she turns and walks away Mm -hmm. you know it's i i think with that it, it really helps kind of set the whole tone for what to expect but i think it does go so much deeper than that and i find these two characters so likable so um, touching, their story is so heartbreaking. And like you said, I feel um, such loss at the end when he, he, she's next door with uh, her child, as we see at the end. And he's there, but he doesn't know she's there. And he kind of looks at the door, reminiscing about the days when they lived next door to each other. And then he leaves. And he, then next thing you see, he's in, I believe, one of the, the temples in Cambodia. And he's kind of whispering into the hole in the wall and sealing up his secrets. And it's so heartbreaking, but it's also incredibly touching. And uh, I, in a way, I found it cathartic at the end. Do you have the the uh, final passage at the end, like the the other yeah. end of the sandwich? What did what was the final passage on the screen at the end? Do you have that in front? Uh, yeah, there was uh, there was two fairly short. One was that era has passed; nothing that belonged to it exists anymore. And then at the very end, he remembers those vanished years as though looking through a dusty window pane. The past is something he could see but not touch, and everything he sees is blurred and indistinct. I I. The bit at Angkor Wat in in Cambodia um, plays. It, it's a punchline to a to a, um, a conversation that that uh, Chow had with uh, was it his boss, Mister Ho? Who was he sitting there having lunch with? I I got some of the uh, some of the faces. Confused. Was it? I think it was. Uh, I think it was A Ping, right? Oh right, okay. So he's sitting there having some having his his uh, dumplings, and they have this conversation about how um, you know when they're secrets that they have to keep close to their heart that in order to to get it out without you know betraying some faith, um, they dig a hole in a tree or in a wall and then they whisper their secret into the into the hole and then cover it with mud and grass and seal it forever, right? And that's their that's their symbol. And that's what we see at the end. He goes to uh, Cambodia and he he 
we don't know if he's he's there specifically for this sort of rite of passage, but we do see him whispering uh, into the hole. And he walks out, though, with a sense of, like, you get this this feeling of, or at least I do, this feeling of confidence, right? The, and, yeah. and that's what I love so much about the way the film ends, that he walks out with a physical confidence. He walks out with a, what I am uh, led to believe is a, a sort of spiritual confidence, right? A new faith that he yeah. has kept his soul clean, right? He's kept his, his faith. Um, and uh, in spite of this time that has now passed, right? And you get a sense that everyone in this has moved on and, and you know, to me, moved on stronger than they were, you know, at, at their low. The film, and the film really celebrates the low. Um, well, and I, I think for me, the thing that really helps seal that is uh, right at the end, then you cut back, you cut to that hole after he's walked away and you see something growing out of it. You right. see, you see, grass. you see, new life kind of coming springing forth from that and to me it was just kind of it was almost like the circle of life and it was like he was able to move past that and now life has come from that it wasn't necessarily the life that he wanted it to be with her but it was like new life had been born and i i don't know there's something really rewarding about that i thought well, there is, and that that shot. I mean, that that sequence, the the anchor watch sequence in general, I think is a is a beautiful contrast to the rest of the film. Right, the rest of the film is is I would characterize it as compressed and uh, friction, and uh, you know, you really feel like you are, you know, you're in the film because there's no other place for you to be. You, you know, yeah. like you can't just watch it; you have to be a part of it because all the spaces are so constrained. Uh, and and the anchor watch segment, the last couple of minutes of the film, it is absolutely expansive, and we get this feeling of size and uh, space as we we get this uh, a really luxurious kind of tour through this monument. Uh, right before we go into these. Um, strangely positioned close-ups where he you don't actually see initially that he is whispering into the wall you just see sort of the side of his head uh and and the rest of his face is kind of uh, obscured by wall uh and and only as it as as we cut around to the other side of him do we see kind of what he was doing um and and those are very close it's very close shots on him very tight shots on him but the rest of that sequence is is you know it's like breathing again uh, after after spending time, really intimate time with these people in their room, in the in these little hallways, uh, these overcrowded spaces. Uh, it, it's a very special. Um, yeah, and 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 to that, you know, the description there. Something else about the way that the film is constructed is. In the shots, there is often a sense of uh, voyeurism, I felt, where the way that the shot is constructed, you have something between you and the couple as we're watching them. And not like, you know, a little bit of a plant or something, but it's something a little more, a little stranger, almost like we are hiding behind a wall peeking around the corner watching them or we're sticking our head up and kind of observing them from you know somewhere where we've kind of got an overhang and it gives us this sense through the whole film of of this voyeuristic sense of of people watching and this observational approach to the way that the the 
the characters are viewed, even to the point of seeing that in Ankar Wat, where we, see, you know, we do cut to one uh, of the wider shots where we do see one of the, the monks there kind of observing him as he is whispering into the wall. And I, I found something about that observational approach uh, tied in with the other. It, it, it's interesting that there were two cinematographers because I do feel like there's a little bit of an, a, a balance between these. It's almost like a yin-yang. You've got this kind of voyeuristic, wider uh, shots of these things, but then you also have these much closer shots that are uh, much more like a, an intimate dance between the characters. And so it's almost looking at the story from their perspective and the world's perspective watching them. And there's something about that those last moments of him when he's doing that where we don't necessarily know what it is he's doing right away where we are trying to find out and 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 how that observational look kind of moves to a position where we finally get the reveal to see what's happening and i don't know what uh really what the purpose of that was in Wong Kar Wai's mind as to why he chose to set it up that way but again i think that goes to giving us a sense of that um reward of that ending the way that it slowly is revealed to us what's happening and how it does tie back to that moment earlier on in the film where he's talking to his friend about it yeah you know i would take it uh, i i had the exact same thought about this this just generally being having my view of their world obscured and and feeling like i'm i'm a voyeur uh the same uh, i i think by extension the same uh, I get the same feeling with their treatment of uh, bodies, right? I mean, it wasn't just that there are that there are walls or things in in the way, but the way um, the way the camera looks at the people in the film, I, I found really striking and jarring at the beginning. Like, I I, I wondered, do they really know what they're shooting? Uh, yeah. You know, as, because much of the film is spent looking at um, at backs. And mm-hmm. and sides of of heads and lots of um, lots of body sides, but torsos where the head and neck are cut off, you know, and where we you know we'll see people sitting kind of sideways in the off the edge of a bed, and you'll focus on a knee or a leg or a or, you know or a foot, uh, and and we'll be hearing story going on. We'll be hearing you know we hear the story progressing as we're looking at these this really sort of disjointed view of of um you know this treatment of our actors uh, and i found that um once i sort of got into the rhythm of it uh, it again became part of um part of my experience of being in the room with these people because that's yeah. how it it felt very much like how my eyes work, you know. I mean, my eyes sometimes focus on backs and legs and feet and necks, and that's just how you look. Uh, and and it's you know rarely do we look in a steady cam uh, fashion. There was something about that that struck me as well, and it reminds me of you know when I have a friend who's got an amazing wedding photographer. And the wedding photographer is not just capturing pictures of the bride and groom and their happy day, but also all of those little moments of, of the way that somebody's holding something mm-hmm. or somebody's back in a chair. Those are the moments that, like you said, that's what you see. Those are the things that a person looks at. And for for whatever reason, sometimes those are the images that are more indelibly implanted in your head than than one of the bigger moments. 
And the fact that he chose to linger on those moments really, I think, for me, emphasized this uh, more of an emotional journey in the mind of these two people rather than a straightforward story. I mean, if, if this was a straightforward story, just looking at these two characters all from the outside, I think it would have felt much slower. The way that he chose to do this, where it is looking at those more... Um, uh, intimate details and the way that somebody moves or the looking at the back of someone just as you kind of get you know a head turned slightly you those are the things that you you read in and you you get emotions out of all of those and there's something uh, going back to the camera work and there's something about this dance in the camera work and how those moves tie into that and something that struck me when I was watching this is how many times he crossed the line and this is something we've talked about on past episodes, but right. you know when you're when you're making a film, typically, in order to kind of keep the geography of a scene making sense, once you get your first shot between your two characters, um, draw an imaginary line between those two characters, and your camera, now that you've started filming, can't cross that line because what happens if you do is one character who's talking to like if a character on the left side of the screen is looking right, talking to a character on the right. You want to stay on that side of the line, so when you cut to the other character, now that character is looking to the character on the left, and it, it just feels natural. When you cross the line, the character one looking to the right, then you cut across the line to character two, they're also looking to the right, and all of a sudden the geography doesn't make sense in your head. Wong Kar Wai does that frequently in this film, and... I was like, what is he doing? This is so strange. It's so Baz Luhrmann of him. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't understand why he's doing this. Um, because so much of the other camera work um, had this amazing dance to it. And then the more I watched it, I really started feeling like that was actually a part of this dance. And in a way, and I, I don't know what, his, what he was thinking um, internally, why he chose to do that, but it really started feeling like to me almost saying that these two people are the same character. It's like two different sides of the same character. And yes, it's a conversation between two people, but it almost doesn't matter which one is which. There's there's a visual joke that plays out in there too, and I, that I love very much. And it it's it starts with him um, destroying the rule of thirds, right? I mean, he he uh, you know typically if we're going to frame a, a tight you know headshot of somebody talking to another character, and it's just a straight up ninety degree headshot, we put the the character with so their faces so there's leading um, sort of space in front of their nose to the to the leading edge of the frame, right? And so they'll be yeah. you know if there's camera if there's a character facing to uh, sort of the left, there will be more space uh, frame left. Uh, you know, right. and their their head will be to the right. He breaks that all the time, and and ends up putting faces where 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 the actors are staring literally just out of the frame because their eyes are like right next to the edge of the frame. And he does these um, these like slam pans into the frame where he'll he'll just throw you into the frame sideways and then cut to throwing you onto uh, <laughs> uh, the plate of food that they're eating. And there's this beautifully elegant um, shot where they're pretending to be their spouses as their spouses were getting to know one another at a meal and ordering what their spouse would order. 
Mm-hmm. And he he ends up putting some like hot mustard on on her plate so she can eat her meat with hot mustard. And she she clearly is doesn't like hot mustard, you know. And that's a a, a wonderful sort of dramatic play that uh, about their relationship that they are very different people in spite of their efforts to play like they are their spouses. But uh, the visual joke there is it starts with all these slams and and putting their heads on the wrong side of the frame. That's visually jarring, and then it plays again. Uh, much later in the film, as they are both in this state of longing, and they are on the opposite sides of each other of the of the apartments that are next door to one another, mm-hmm. and we're close on her; she's on the wrong side of the frame. And yet, as the camera slides now slowly, uh, uh, revealing as we're going passing through the wall uh, between apartments, uh, we see that he is leaning up against the wall on the on the opposite side. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they are they are longing through the wall against one another, and and I think otherwise that would be sort of a trite, um, it, it would be sort of a trite visual play, right? You know, oh my gosh, they really like each other. They're on the opposite side of the wall. You know, maybe they'll <laughs> pass a note or psychic energy. But because we've been introduced to the way the camera moves between these two people, I think it 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 um, it it's a just a continuation of a really wonderful. Um, uh, visual story between the two. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. The, um, earlier I want to, I want to, uh, before I forget, um, this film really reminded me a lot of remains of the day. Mm. Take the, me back. Take the, me back. <laughs> the longing between the two characters in that film, while for different reasons, I found so uh, reminiscent uh, or th- I found this so reminiscent of that film because that came out I believe in 95 or 94 and uh, or actually 93 I think <laughs> I'll just keep going 90, backwards it was 93 <laughs> yeah 93 yeah. Um, it was a very uh, another tale of two people who they had a connection but in that case because of the, the place in society where they were as two people working in uh, two servants working in this British uh, mansion back in the uh, 40s, I believe. Actually, I think it kind of goes 30s and 40s. Yeah. Uh, they they can't commit to that love, and it ends up being an utterly heartbreaking story as they uh, they both kind of feel like there's something there, but uh, never can quite come to. A place where they can do anything with it or at least he can't and uh, kind of belittles her and she ends up leaving and she's heartbroken and he ends up trapped in, in this this horrible you know life that he's created for himself in a way it just it, this film watching this i instantly thought of that film and so it was an interesting I, again i haven't seen um days of being wild so i don't know how that fits in i, I think it's more of a character sort of trilogy like some similar characters or similar actors traipsing through the three films i don't know if it has anything thematically tying it all together but i do feel i do feel remains of the day is in a weird way kind of a a spiritual uh i guess it would be the prequel to this one or this is a spiritual sequel to that how how does this fit with um that's a really interesting comparison it makes me want to go watch remains of the day again um yeah i think i think james ivory in general is is uh in 
in good touch with the unrequited uh, <laughs> British love story. Uh, Absolutely. But uh, how does—I've I've been meaning to ask this because I haven't watched 2046 yet, and you have. How does this fit for you between those two films? Well, I, I've got to say, I, I saw 2046, I guess it would be 10 years ago now when it came out, and— I remember feeling kind of the same thing from this one that like, wow, this is just a gorgeous film. Um, I don't, I, at the time I was like, I don't really get what's going on in this film. It kind of goes from, from this same vibe of the, you know, what is it? 40, what is it? Forties, this film, the forties, uh, or is it sixties? Yeah. Sixties, Hong Kong. Sixty-three to sixty-six. Right. Starts in sixty-two. Um, it has vibe of that 1962 Hong Kong. It also has this kind of futuristic world. And it was just this strange amalgam of a number of different things going on in that story that I never really could figure out what was going on. But I found it like watching a dream. And I really enjoyed what Wong Kar Wai was doing that. I'm actually really uh, curious to go back and watch it again now, having seen this, because... The interesting thing about this film is this was not the film that Wong Kar Wai actually set out to make. He actually started making a film that I, I can't remember what it was called, but it's something like, you know, something like about the three meals or something. The three. Yeah, something about food. Yeah. Uh, a story of food. He started making this this film that uh, was a very different film. And. I guess he's a director who doesn't necessarily like to work with scripts is what I was reading. And he has his actors. They kind of kind of put the story together as they're going. And it ended up being a very um, improvisational story as he and Tony and Maggie kind of worked on coming up with the story. And the actors said it was inspiring but very demanding. And it just went on and on and on. It took 15 months to film this story. And as he was trying to find what the story was... And so he kind of went round and round and round and in the process came up with the idea of 2046. And actually some of the scenes in 2046 were uh, some scenes and, and shots that he filmed for this film that didn't end up making it in that one. And so it's it, so it becomes this strange blend of those two films, even though 2046 is kind of its own story. But um that's actually why, um, you know, the first cinematographer had to step away. He had to go off, and uh, uh, Christopher Doyle left for a little while. Are you okay? I'm good. Oh, that was the end of the sentence. That was it, yeah. And oh, then, I and thought then Mark, you... <laughs> yeah, sorry. And then Mark came in to finish it. Yeah. Uh, the That was, uh, as I understand it, uh, that was the joke, that they thought that the movie would actually be finished in 2046. Yeah. Uh, because it took funny. took so long to to find, but his uh, in in uh, days of being or in um, in the mood for love, his his apartment was number twenty forty six, his address. Right. Uh, so well, you know, it's not not his apartment. It's well, it's the second one that he gets. Yeah. Right. There's so a, the hotel the room. Gorgeous, in, yeah. The gorgeous hallway with the right. giant with the red the red velvet uh, curtains. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, visually uh, lovely film really lovely this is you know i i i feel like and i know we joke about it but i feel like this is um 
this is the the level of sort of restraint in a slow moving film that I can get around. Yeah, I can wrap my head around, <laughs> right? Uh, that sprawling uh, sense of nothingness that came out of Yi Yi, uh, I feel like this movie capitalizes on a a human relationship drama that had me absolutely bought in from the opening frame. I loved it. I loved these characters. I felt like I was I was a part of their relationship. But I I want to specifically um, call out the production design. Because and the the costume, uh, you know, uh, oh, design. I feel like this, you know, this movie was made in two thousand, right? I mean, obviously, it took right. a long time to get made, but it was it's a movie that was in production in the late nineties and two, released in the year two thousand, and it really uh, captures for me the spirit of the sixties. Uh, you know, it it absolutely. I, I feel like it just nailed it. Yeah, and and. Interestingly, they um, couldn't even film in Hong Kong because it looks so different now. And I think they went and shot in, uh, was it Shanghai they went to film in? It was because, Ma- Macau, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. I can't remember where it was, but they went to, uh, I think, Beijing and Macau. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think they started in Beijing, and then the Chinese government said, we want to see the script. And he said, never mind. And so they left to go to Macau. We don't (laughs) don't... need no stinking script. (laughs) Oh, yes. But yeah, the the production design and the costume design, I mean, they really do go hand in hand in in this film. William Chang um, did both of those as well as the editing in the film. I have to say, I have never been in love with dresses more (laughs) in my life than in this film. I mean... Aside from the fact that Maggie is uh, you know, looks perfect in every one of these dresses, there I guess Chong uh, Chong San dresses is what they're called. Mm-hmm. Just these these amazing form fitting dresses, and every scene she's wearing a different one. Uh, according to the statistics, there were forty six different dresses that she wore in the making of this. Not all of them ended up in the final film, but that's how many different dresses she wore over the course of the film, and. Uh, I just was in love with every one of them. She was just, uh, she was stunning in them. Truly, truly. And, you know, uh, he cuts a nice suit. I he, gotta say. Yeah, He's a, Tony I, Lung is a handsome lad. Yes. His his suits were quite, uh, he was a dapper lad. He was dapper. And they, they spent a lot of time in the rain. And mm-hmm. they all looked great in the rain. Uh, uh, apparently, there was some consternation around uh, Maggie Chung's hair. Uh, which was a a five hour hairdo every yeah. day for fifteen months, um, you know that's tough duty, but the result was fantastic. Yes, yes, generally, I mean it's just atmospheric, absolutely gorgeous. This is a movie I think people need to see, uh, particularly people who who like love stories, uh, because I think this is every bit a love story. Oh, absolutely, and uh, it's it it earns it. It absolutely earns it. Yeah, it's it's unrequited, but at the same time, it does feel you get to the ending, and it it does feel like I he, I was he refreshed got something out of it. Yeah, I was I did not feel like I'd been kicked in the face. No, like it, some it of these felt, other films, it felt cathartic. I it mean, it cathartic. really did. Yeah. It was it was a release. Yeah. What do you have? Anything else uh, hot on your list as we? Uh... 
Um, let me look here. I think, uh, oh, uh, you know, this, the title of the film, he actually had a different name for it. And leading all the way up to, uh, it, it played at the uh, Cannes Film Festival in 2000. And he could never settle on the title, and he decided he was going to call it Secrets. And the, the <laughs> whoever, good. whoever it was who uh, was heading the uh, the uh, Cannes Film Festival that year called him up and said, "You can't call it Secrets. It's uh, you know, there's too many films called Secrets out there. It's not a good name for this, and you should change it." And so, and it certainly was better than a story of food, but he just didn't know what to call it. And so he was uh, listening to a Brian Ferry song and heard the song "I'm in the Mood for Love." And he's just like, oh, that actually could work really well for a title. And so, hence, In the Mood for Love. This movie won a ton of awards, was nominated for a ton of awards. Um, yeah, the Hong Kong Film Awards in 2001. It uh, Cleaned see, House. Right? Best Actor, Best Actress, like, Best oh. Art Direction, Best Costume and Makeup Design, Best Film Editing. You go, William Chang. Mm-hmm. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actress, Best Screenplay, Best Perform, New Performer, Cinematography, and Original Score, Michael Galasso. The uh, you know the the score. It seems like all the score is is that Umeji's theme, that um, that beautiful cello music that plays. It is it is so prevalent in this film. I swear, it's like every scene that pops up. You know, you'll have a scene of them doing something, and then it cuts to a montage, and you'll hear Yumeji's theme playing over it. And it's gorgeous, gorgeous music. Don't get me wrong. But I was just like, wow, this is a really interesting use of score in a film like this, to have it just this song so mm-hmm. much. But it is. It's a beautiful theme. It is. Uh, it's, again, just really adds to that. Uh, uh, it really adds to the 60s vibe, right? Uh, uh, classical yeah. 60s. You know, it's gorgeous. Uh, this movie is uh, on many, many lists of bests. Uh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And and bests around the world. Uh, I, I think we, we mentioned uh, uh, last week that this film is, uh, or we mentioned in our conversation with Stephen, this film is uh, ranked number 42 in the Empire Magazine, 100 Best Films of World Cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a lot of films in the world. Yes, there are. I'm just yeah. saying. It is a big world. Large. Disney lied. <laughs> Get him. <laughs> um, how do you, uh, did you find anything on dollars? I, I didn't find a whole lot. I did find um, what it made. I didn't find anything as far as the budget. I'm guessing they spent a good amount of money considering they shot for 15 months in a very kind of stream of consciousness, abstract sort of filmmaking. Um, But what they made here in the States was $2.7 million and internationally uh, just over $11 million. So all told, they made just under $14 million and, uh, you know, adjusted for today's dollars, that would be about $18.2 million. So, you know, it made... A decent amount of money for the type of film that it is which is an awesome one <laughs> it is, it an, is awesome. an awesome film one of the scenes that i loved um i think more than uh many of the others was uh, backtrack for a moment something i found very interesting is how 
you never see the faces of their spouses. Oh, they're they're always yes. shot in a way where you see like the side of them or they're in the distance and you only see their back or something like that. Right, I found right. that really interesting. And then there's this scene uh, partway through the film. I think it's pretty like maybe two thirds where she is confronting her husband and she's talking to him to try to drag out from him the fact that he is seeing another woman. It, he comes out and, and, you know, they have this back and forth. He comes out and says it. She slaps him. And then it's revealed that it's not her husband. We only think it is because we're seeing the character from the back. Yeah. And it's revealed that it's actually uh, Tony. And he they are play acting this whole uh, this whole confrontation. And he has her do it again. And the way that the emotions start coming out in that scene is so powerful. And even once it's revealed that it's him, when, when they go to take two and they start again, it cuts back to that shot behind him again where we are looking at the spouse again. Yeah. Like, this is such a genius way to play that scene. And I was so uh, just moved by the, the, the filmmaking finesse that Wong Kar Wai had in his decision to construct it that way. And um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I got that out before Uh, we, I'm really glad you bring that up because I think that is, I, I, for me that, that exact same feeling comes when they do their departure scene because they do the same thing and they talk about this time, you know, who they, who, who is who, right? There's no trick of the husband, but you see him say, you know, walk away. They have this exchange and, she starts crying and she's like scratching her arm a little bit in such pain. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out it was just a, it was a practice run. And right. that just, that it's, it is such a powerful gimmick. Uh, and I, I just, I think you're, you're absolutely right. That is, it just shows a lot of finesse. Yeah. Okay. And there's Nat King Cole singing Spanish. <laughs> singing Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Great, great choice, Steve. Great, great choice. Uh, let's rank it. Let's do it. If you head over to flickchart.com, you will see flickchart.com slash the next reel. You will see our stack rankings of our favorite films, and uh, you can jump right to it from the next reel. You can jump straight to our top 100. That's the golden ticket list. Uh, You can see our top 100 films, and we'll see if In the Mood for Love is going to crack the top 100. Well, let's see. In the Mood for Love or The Born Supremacy? In the Mood for Love. Yeah, I I mean I feel like the Born Supremacy is what I would pick, and maybe that's just because it's a it's just such an easy fun watch, but I do feel like there's a lot more too in the mood for love. So I'll say in the mood for love as well. In the mood for love or Fargo. Wow, that's getting hard. Yeah, that's uh, that got hard fast. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say Fargo. I am too. I'm going to say Fargo. In the mood for love or drive? Hmm. Interesting. They yeah. they both have very interesting uh, visual styles. cinematic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm going to say in the mood for love on this one. I feel like I'm going to go with the drive. And, it, and maybe it's just because of the you know car chases and beatings. Mm. Um. Wow. 
It's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. I, I just feel like Drive is the one that I would put in. Yeah, I'm going back through uh, in my uh, my mental playback of Drive, you know, and I, I there are some incredibly strong sequences. I'm obviously high on In the Mood for Love right now. Um, But that Ryan Gosling does do a bang-up job. Yeah. And that elevator scene is pretty tense. Yeah, the elevator scene, and and let's not forget the... Oh, uh, Al- Albert Brooks. Albert Brooks, yeah. Okay, all right, I'll give you drive. I'll give you drive. Right, it was a right. gut reaction. I'm going to give it's, you drive. I, no, I hear you. I hear you. In the Mood for Love or the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Speaking of buttons... Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going to go uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button on this one. I think I am, too. Yeah. In the mood for love or field of dreams? In the mood for love. <laughs> oh, you know, this is a hard this one for not, me. It's not hard Field for of me. dreams breaks me <laughs> in, the best, in the best of ways. But in the mood for love is filmmaking uh, prowess. Field of dreams, the filmmaking, I think, is, is a little underwhelming. I think the story in that is what makes that film so powerful but i'm going to give in the mood for love a leg up on this one just because it's it just I, it's so easy to fall in love with in the mood for love or the descent <laughs> <laughs> there really? is the pairing of the year oh uh, man <laughs> uh you know i'm gonna go in the mood for love um i love the Descent. I deeply love The Descent. It's a fantastic film. But I think the straight up, just the performances uh, in in The Mood for Love, the just the, the raw sort of, you know, you just strip back just the acting. Uh, I found myself more engaged with each individual performance in, in The Mood for Love than, than uh, you know, than The Descent. I, I loved a lot uh, about The Descent, and I think it comes together really wonderfully. But, but I, I found a deeper connection with each of these characters, in, particularly in Tony Lung and Maggie Chung. In, in the mood for love. I'm going to go with in the mood for love, but I feel like... <laughs> but it that, hurts. <laughs> that could change down the road. I, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think I'm still in the honeymoon phase right now. Yeah. Uh, but the descent, I mean, I think there's a lot about what they do with her character and takes a, a, a step up in the horror film, the way that they develop that character. I like that a lot. All right. In the mood for love... Or adaptation. I'm actually interested to hear where you go on this one. I, uh, I'm really torn on this one because adaptation. There's something about that script, and there's something about the way that it's constructed with the twins and just the whole everything yeah. ties together. Ah, mm, it's like an emotional choice or. Just a downright amazing. I, you you strip. use the word finesse. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, there's no finesse for me in adaptation. Uh, mm-hmm. It it comes unhinged, in in a very good way for me. I mean, in, in a good way. I enjoy. It. I, obviously, I I quite enjoy it. Um. But I and I don't I don't know necessarily that that's not like an argument for or against one of the films. But I, I just in terms of the filmmaking, there's Wong Kar Wai operating generally without a script, coming up with the film that they came up with versus adaptation. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, a story about a film I, without I, a story. 
I will go with In the Mood for Love, but I'm feeling dirty. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's where I'm leaning. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay, there we are. 52 out of 117. Nice. Zipped right up there, that little movie did. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it Excellent. did. Excellent. I, I just want to, my final thoughts on this. I just want to say, hooray for you, me, and Steve Smart. Yes, hooray indeed. Uh, this could have been a disaster. <laughs> it could have been a righteous disaster, right? Because I know there are people out there who are waiting to punk us. I know some of them personally mm-hmm. that are just waiting to get their name drawn so that they can punk us with something. But this we have in uh, in the good and kind Steve Smart, a guy who loves movies and has a great eye uh, for great films. And I s- deeply appreciate him taking this conversation seriously and, and participating. That's yeah. my thought. Wonderful. Uh, I love this film. I love how we got to this film. I can't wait for our next listener's choice. Um, yeah. Now this has been great fun. And not, the next one's not too far off. It's uh, it's going to be toward the end of April. So uh, everybody tuning in, make sure you are uh, you know leaving us comments on Facebook, uh, reviews on iTunes, just wherever you can find a way to send us a message, even emails. Uh, G- Tweet, Google tweets. Plus tweets. tweets, yeah. We are. We'll put everybody in the hat for the next listener's choice, uh, which we're going to be drawing. I think toward the beginning of April, and then we'll yeah. talk about it toward the end of April. Perfect. What are we doing next week? We are starting a. Uh, um, it's not a new series. We're jumping back to our original sci-fi series. Quite looking forward to this. We're going to be starting with the, just one of my all-time favorites, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's awesome. I can't wait. I sort of can't believe we haven't talked about this film yet. I, I can't mean, I know there are a lot of last movies. Time. I know. Yeah. How did this not come up? I don't know. All right. All right. Close Encounters next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Nextreel.com. People are fantastic. I got to go to bed. People are fantastic. Welcome to the next reel. I'm so glad hello, you could, I'm glad hello, you could be here. Hello. What a wonderful word. Hello. I don't I don't know that bit. Oh, it's from Crazy People. Oh, wait, Crazy People. Was that with the short guy? Yeah, Dudley Moore. Who fell That's, down the uh, hill in that other movie? Was that 10? She was in that movie with that guy who had that heart attack. Are you talking about Tommy Boy? Yes. Did See, I hear I've a, never did seen Tommy Boy. <gasps> Tommy Boy. And I would say it's on my list of shame, but I don't feel any shame. Oh, God. <laughs> you haven't seen Tommy oh. Boy? Never have seen it. Never been interested. <laughs> what?
I know. I just have never been interested in it. You see all kinds of crap. Why did, how did you not see that? Uh, Fat guy in a little coat? Who can forget that bit? <laughs> did I hear a Niner in there? Another classic. Oh. Guarantee on the box? I could listen to that all day long. Uh, and apparently you can quote it all day long, too. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to hear it? Here it goes. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.